We'd like to express our appreciation to Coventry for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. It really is about the advisors asking the questions, incorporating the life insurance policy into the overall review process. If the people still have a need for the policy and it's serving a valuable purpose and they can afford the contract, we're the first ones to say they should hold the policy. But we find so many people whose needs have changed over time, and this is such a valuable option for them to leverage the market value of that policy. I'm proud of the value that this industry provides to consumers to pay for their long-term care, help with medical costs, to provide increased retirement income, or maybe just go on a vacation. They have needs that the advisor miss on the process of evaluating the portfolio because they believe that they can't benefit by life insurance any longer because of age. No one's saying that everyone needs a life settlement, but I think it's time to make sure that they know their options. We collaborate in marketing efforts, educating over 30,000 advisors, CPAs, and attorneys to help you with centers of influence. I've had some great success hosting webinars and the attendance on those has been astronomical. So over the last two to three years, we've seen a tremendous amount of institutional capital flow into this market. Insurance companies, reinsurers, hedge funds, pensions, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, they view this as an uncorrelated asset, so it's diversification reasons. More recently, they're on a hunt for yield and they're looking for alternative investment. And the benefit of all this money that's coming in it's allowing us to pay more for policies than we were a year or two ago. And life settlements is an option, it's a solution, it's a thought process. So we really made it a part of the thought process around the handling of insurance from a holistic planning approach. It's making clients aware of what their policies are worth so that they can make the best decision for them and their family. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series. I am Bob Mattel and I am the co-producer of these podcasts. This series focuses on industry-leading performance, success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives. This episode, called Exploring the Value of Life Settlements, is a bit unique since it was initially recorded as a live videocast. We've edited that videocast to provide you with the best elements of the discussion in this podcast episode. The most prominent leaders in the life settlement industry are featured in this discussion. There are aha moments that just may change your paradigm as it relates to fiduciary responsibilities and leveraging this solution during the discovery and financial planning process in definable situations. Our host today is Scott Stathis, and he and I would like to compliment the team at Coventry for their passion and very valuable contributions to the informative and engaging nature of this episode. I'll now turn it over to our host. Scott, you are up. Welcome everybody. I am Scott Stathis, founder of Stathis Partners, and I want to thank you all for joining us, and I also want to thank our panel, we'll introduce in a second. So today's discussion will focus on the background and trending related to assessing a client's life insurance ownership as an asset and managing it accordingly from a financial planning perspective. And we'll be approaching this from a research, education, and case study perspective. We'll also seek to dispel some common myths about life settlements, especially related to viaticals, which represent just a small percentage of the overall life settlement market. I'll start us off with a few important statistics. One, 85% of term policies and 88% of universal life policies will expire, lapse, or be surrendered before a death benefit is paid. So that's a surprising stat, and it represents a significant loss for policyholders and your clients, most likely. $200 billion worth of life insurance will be surrendered or lapsed every year. 55% of your clients don't even know they can sell their life insurance. And the life settlement industry is growing at an average of 34% a year. So there's some significant growth there, which is why we're exploring what we're exploring today. So that said, let's dive into the discussion. The panelists, uh, which I'll introduce, are Alan Berger, who is the chairman and co-founder of the 
Coventry Group, and more on Alan in a minute. Neil Jacobs, the CEO of Coventry Securities. Peter Hershon, Senior Vice President, Account Services of Coventry. Patrick Cahill, Head of Strategic Accounts, Coventry. Hugh Cameron, the Executive Vice President, National Sales Director of JBC Companies. And David Henry, Executive Vice President, Life Insurance for Financial Independence Group. So, Alan, I'd like to start with you. And since you invented the life settlement business back in the 90s, is it okay if I call you the godfather of life settlements? That you can call me you? whatever you'd like. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I know you've been very involved in supporting the uh, Life Insurance Settlement Association over the years and even served as chairman. And I understand that you just won the association's inaugural industry leadership award. So, congratulations on that. And we Thank are. Thank you very much. Yeah. And we're glad to have you with us um, and look forward to your insights. So, given your background and the fact that you're the godfather of the industry, I have a hunch you can provide us with some insights. Um, so, as a leader in the space, give us some perspective on the history of life settlements. So, where it's been, where it's going. And then, if you can, please kind of weave in insights related to uh, consumer education and, and regulation. Fine. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a treat for me to be able to talk about life settlements. It's a passion. In the early days, as I traveled all over the country, uh, speaking before groups of agents and registered reps, people would say, you, you sound somewhat evangelical about this. And, and that's how I feel. And I feel that way because of the value proposition that life settlements provide tremendous benefits to the consumer. Just by way of background, I started in the life insurance business in 1972, and I was life licensed and mutual fund licensed and health insurance licensed. And I've done in my career just about everything a life agent could do during that part of my career. I sold group insurance. I sold annuities. Uh, I did payroll deduction at three in the morning, long-term care. Ultimately, found myself at Shearson American Express where uh, I was responsible for working with what were then called stockbrokers with, with insurance, life insurance for their clients, as well as for about a third of the country was responsible for annuity and single premium life sales. And I learned a great deal about the high net worth older client. And I was a young man back then. Eventually, we set up our own firm, the Coventry Group. And were very involved in estate planning initially. Uh, we helped a number of carriers develop their initial survivorship products. And so that goes back to the 80s when the tax law made that attractive. And then we became one of the three largest firms in the corporate-owned life insurance space or Coley market. And fortunately for us and for a lot of consumers, Congress passed legislation that made corporate-owned life insurance far less attractive. So we were looking for something else to do. And I had always had this notion of buying insurance. Now, we were never in the viatical business. It was a business that I didn't particularly feel attracted to, which was a good thing because a business that was, came to be held in wide disrepute, it wasn't well regulated. But I knew there was an opportunity to, to make a market in policies of individuals who are older, initially the high net worth market, but it's also the middle market today, for when they had had some changes in health, in some cases, Peter will talk about where there isn't a change in health, but it was a good investment. It was a very good asset. Life insurance is a good asset. And so we created, and by created, I mean, we came up with the name Life Settlement. Depends on who in my family you talk to as to who came up with that name, but I know it was one of us. I focused back in those days on three things that I knew were important. One was legislation. Two was regulation and three was education. We needed to be a regulated business. We needed uh, where we could get it in the state's commission disclosure. Uh, we needed to disclose other options. I view all financial businesses should be regulated. It was counterintuitive when we'd go into states and say we wanted to be regulated, but I knew that in order for us to survive and grow as an industry, that was necessary, especially because at the time, the life insurance carriers didn't want us to exist. And if we weren't proactive in, in making sure good legislation got passed, we might find bad legislation was passed. 
So we're now regulated in an area that covers approximately 90 or 92% of the population of the country, some 43, 44 states. And I can tell you that Coventry was instrumental in probably over 30 of those laws being passed. And by instrumental, I mean, we committed, and I personally committed to visiting with 40 state insurance departments and or state legislators a year. We were very active and I personally was involved at the NAIC and their quarterly meetings and at NQIL, the National Conference of Insurance Legislators uh, and their quarterly meetings and helping both organizations promulgate their model laws to get the regulatory framework that we have now. And it's a very stable framework without any major changes in laws in about a decade. Uh, And I'm particularly proud of that. And uh, uh, Scott mentioned the award that the Trade Association gave me. I'm proud of that because of the value that this industry provides to consumers every day to pay for their long-term care, to help with medical costs, to provide increased retirement income, or maybe just go on a vacation. Uh, But people's needs change. And when their needs change, we provide a valuable option. Now, those of you who are listening today, uh, you've got your firms and question I would be asking is why should we, uh, our firm, our registered reps, our life agents, why should we participate in the life settlement market? And my answer is that it's in the consumers, it's in your clients' best interest. It's also, I think, in your best interest, because when you act in your client's best interest in the financial services business, it's invariably in your rep's your agents, and your your best interest. And over time, and we've already seen some anecdotal evidence of this, we're going to see it'll it'll become in your fiduciary interest to do so as well. I've always said, as I've given speeches around the country, that life settlements make life insurance more flexible, more powerful, and more valuable. So I'm introducing right now a video of an actual client who had term insurance and he had a problem. I'm Michael Greer and we're in my living room in Anderson, South Carolina. I'm a uh, anesthesiologist and a pain physician by specialty. I have a wife, her name is Monica, she's also a physician. We met in medical school and about a half a year after that we got married. Late summer, early fall of 2014, I started having some vision problems, and I thought that I had detached a retina. And so I finally went to the retina specialist, and he took one look at it, and he said, well, it's not a hemorrhage, it's a melanoma. It certainly gives you a feel for your mortality. I think the most important thing for me is obviously my family. You sort of think more about what life's going to be like for the people that are left behind when I'm finally gone. I was in the process of trying to figure out what I could do with this term life insurance policy that I had that is going to be out of the level premium period. And when you go out of that period, obviously the premium rates get astronomically high. You almost end up spending more in premiums than you would ever acquire in the benefit. So I knew that wasn't going to be feasible. But at the same time, I was sort of stuck because I can't just go out and buy more insurance because of my diagnosis. We talked about a bunch of different options. There actually were a lot more options than I thought there ever would be. Coventry made it very easy, did a lot of the paperwork for me, sent it to me, already prepared. All I had to do was sign it. It enables me to feel confident and safe that this amount of money that we've been investing over the last 19 years to maintain this insurance is not going to have to go to waste because I'm not insurable. So it allows me to maintain a significant amount of life insurance that can help my wife and my kids after I am gone without having to spend an arm and a leg. There probably are a lot of people that are in a similar situation who don't know they have an option. And if somebody's looking for a way to solve a problem like that, With a minimum of hassle and a lot of good help and a lot of good options, I would definitely recommend talking to Coventry about it. I would like to say to the people of Coventry, thank you very much, and I just couldn't have asked for a better experience. 
it's a, uh, a great story, Alan. Let me ask you a quick follow-up, and then, Peter, I have a question for you. So, you know, after watching that, um, you realize the value that advisors can be providing to their clients if they introduce a life settlement as an option and, and utilize it from a planning perspective. Um, and, and I'm guessing that most of the audience today are not yet using life settlements, but have an interest, and that's why they're, they're with us. So just give us quickly your opinion, Alan, of how long it takes an advisor, once they are able to offer life settlements, how long does it take them to get comfortable with the discussion that is involved with introducing life settlements to their clients and, and actually utilizing life settlements as a solution? Is that something that they can like hit the ground running in a week or, you know, how long does, what's involved? How long does that take? I'm going to let Peter uh, answer that, but let me, let me first comment on what we just saw. It really illustrates with real people, with the same kind of person that your reps deal with every day, just how powerful and how valuable life settlements make their existing life insurance when their needs have changed. Uh, with that, uh, Scott, why don't you introduce Peter? And I want him to answer that because he's dealing with that financial advisor who's looking at life settlements perhaps for the first time. He and the folks that work with him are dealing with them every day. Okay. Yeah. And, and Peter, you, I know you've been with Coventry for 18 years and you've seen the evolution of capitalization in your industry. If you can give us a feel for how that affected the business, you know, how, how it affects growth strategies, target demographics, et cetera. And then also answer the question about advisor ramp up and, and, and how long that takes. Sure. Thanks, Scott. The, the ramp up period for an advisor is it's a pretty seamless transition because when you think, think about a life settlement, when based on that statistic that you said earlier, 88% of term policies never pay a death benefit. 85% of universal life policies, policies that are sold as a permanent life insurance solution, never pay a death benefit, right? A lot of those universal life policies, they're surrendered to an insurance company. That is essentially like they are selling that policy back to the insurance company for X dollars. A life settlement transaction, instead of giving the policy back to the insurance company for X, now you are just selling it to a financial institution for amount up and above that. So it, it is pretty easy, not to mention that we try to take most of the legwork off the agent's shoulders, right? The key thing is them understanding what the original need of the life insurance was, okay? What the planning goals are today and how this policy fits in with those goals. And if the policy doesn't fit in with the goals because the insurance is no longer needed, it's no longer affordable, right? The, the risk that they were insuring has, is no longer present today. This is an option that they can look at. Um, but it's, it's a pretty simple conversation. You know, think about a registered rep who has a client who has a policy where the registered rep doesn't believe insurance is appropriate for their current planning goals. And they were going to surrender that policy for $20,000, i.e. the cash surrender value, and invest that money as new assets under management to help fund their retirement. For that registered rep to go back and say, hey, instead of surrendering that for $20,000, I now have the ability where you could sell your policy to a financial institution, an institution that has completed over $40 billion in life insurance face amount, these transactions. And now we have $150,000 that we can leverage in that retirement account and invest. And here's the financial impact that this could have on your retirement. It really, it, it makes the conversation quite, quite easy. In addition to that, we also have 40 regionals that day in, day out work with registered reps, investment advisor representatives, life insurance agents, and help them identify clients, help them educate their staff, help them with point of sale work with their clients to make them comfortable with this conversation and the process as a whole. So we're, we're happy to be on the outside and just discuss with the advisor, but many times the advisor will bring us in on the conversation to talk to that client and you know, see what we can do to add value and make this a more seamless transaction. I will say, going, going back to your, your original question, Scott, I think you know, one of the major things that we've seen, we've seen a, a really an evolution of this market over the 18 years that I've been involved with it. At first, it really was a needs-based transaction. And what it's changed is now it's more so viewed as a complement to the financial planning process 
for seniors with life insurance. There's a thousand reasons why people buy life insurance, but there's a thousand reasons why that need for insurance might change over time. And when that need changes, we're a great option for them to consider. We're true believers in value of life insurance. Allen and Connie Berger, that's their background. That's our firm's background. That being said, we recognize with the statistic, 85% of UL policies, there are situations where people can leverage that policy and help them better achieve those planning goals going forward. When I first started here, you know, the parameters for a case were very different from what they are today. We were, the market was really just dealing with individuals 75 and above, okay, a maximum life expectancy of eight years or less. And the key prerequisite for that case to qualify was that the insured needed to experience a dramatic change in their health since that policy was first issued. And because of these parameters, we were only looking at permanent life insurance contracts. And we really were just a lapse and surrender alternative. And over the years, we've seen you know, significant changes to that. The biggest has been our ability to buy policies on younger and healthier lives. It went from eight years to 10 years to 12 years to 15 years. And that's where the majority of the transactions occur in the industry today. But one of the, the true benefits that I've seen more recently has been our ability now to extend that further to go all the way out to 20 years and sometimes even a little bit longer. Right. So the industry as a whole is really caps out about 15 years, but we have that that ability and it really helps to go all the way out to 20, sometimes longer. And that's part of the reason why we also do a lot of work in that 65 to 75 age range. That old prerequisite, the insured needed to experience a dramatic change in their health since the policy was first issued is really no longer the case today. We buy a lot of policies now on individuals seven, who are 70 and above who were issued at preferred rates and are still in fantastic health today. Okay, there's been no essentially change in their medical, no arbitrage there. But based on the efficiency of the policy and the aggressive capital markets that are out there today, there is now intrinsic value in that policy. And with those changes in the parameters, we've also seen the application of a life settlement change. Instead of it just being permanent life insurance contracts, now we buy a lot of convertible term policies. Term contracts are generally convertible to 65, 70, sometimes to 75. Well, that old strategy, buy term and invest the difference, bought for that cheap level premium paying period, knowing that the majority of times the policy, when the level term comes to an end, so does the policy and the people get rid of it. Now we can come in and take a look at buying that conversion option. And during the closing process, the submitting registered rep is now the agent on that conversion. So they're assisting the client with the life settlement, helping them monetize a policy that they never thought would have any value to it earning a commission on the life settlement. And in addition to that, they are the agent of the record on the conversion that is occurring with the life insurance company. So it really has been a great win for both parties there. We've also introduced options outside of just a cash-based life settlement transaction. We have what is referred to as a retained death benefit option, where essentially a policy seller gets to eliminate all of their premium obligations going forward. And in exchange for that, they get to name a beneficiary that is recorded at the insurance company that receives a percentage of the death benefit upon that insured's passing. So it fits in very nicely with the concept that people love life insurance. They just hate paying the premium for it. It's one of the few assets where the person who pays the premium for it never gets to see any of the benefit of it. So now they eliminate that premium obligation because they don't view the life insurance policy as an asset anymore. They view it as a liability. Well, they get rid of that liability component, and now their heirs, when they pass away, still, or their business partners, because we see it in a lot of business cases as well, still get a portion of that death benefit, not paid from Coventry, but paid directly from the insurance policy on that existing policy. And actually, that, that video that we just watched, that gentleman got a little bit of both. He had a term case, so it was a term life settlement opportunity. He actually got some upfront cash, and in addition to that, got some death benefit for his daughters. And lastly, we've also seen opportunities now with smaller face amount contracts. The market generally was focused on the higher, you know, higher end market, generally minimum face amounts, half a million dollars. Don't get me wrong, the average case we still buy today is well in excess of a million dollars, but we have the ability now to go all the way down to $100,000 in face amounts. So we've seen it kind of open up for additional opportunities. And with that, we've sort of introduce streamline underwriting options. So where the market as a whole, no matter what it used to be, you have to medically underwrite. 
because there had to be a change in health. Now we have the ability to underwrite cases without medical records in some situations. If a registered rep and advisor knows that the client is in great health for their age, we can underwrite assuming standard health and just utilize an illustration to make it a, you know, a more streamlined process and kind of expedite everything. And one of the great things is over the last, you know, I'd say two to three years, we've seen a tremendous amount of institutional capital flow into this market. And you, you name the type of institution, insurance companies, reinsurers, hedge funds, pensions, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, we've seen them deploy capital in this space. A lot of it has to do that they view this as an uncorrelated asset. So it's diversification reasons. Secondly, more recently, they're on a hunt for yield. Equity markets every week, you hear about all-time highs, fixed income, who would have, you know, not too long ago, we were hearing about the 10-year treasury below 1%. Investments on real estate, the cap rates have been compressed because prices are so high. So they're hunting for yield and they're looking for alternative investments. And we're seeing more and more of these institutions looking at these life insurance policies as a way to deploy capital and get the yield that they need. And the benefit of all this money that's coming in, it's allowing us to pay more for policies than we were a year or two ago. And in my mind, almost even more significant, it's allowing us to offer on policies that we previously would have been declined because because of the people's age, the people's health, or that the return requirement was just a tad too high to make the numbers work. So it really has kind of opened the box for potential cases. Interestingly enough, at the same time, we see more seniors thinking about making changes to their life insurance policies, okay? And there are a number of reasons for that, but some of the main ones really have to do with, number one, policy performance. The bread and butter product in this industry is a universal life policy or a survivorship universal life contract. Okay, given the historical low interest rate environment we've been in for over a decade now, okay, it's done real damage to these policies. Okay, policies are projected to perform at 6% interest. They've been running at 3.5% at the bare minimum for years now. And we're starting to see more advisors and more consumers taking note of that. They're looking at their annual statements. They're seeing that despite the fact that I've paid my same monthly premium that I had for the last 15 years when I first bought this policy, my cash value is not increasing anymore, it's decreasing. They're also looking down a little further down that annual statement and saying, hey, if I continue to pay this premium, the policy is not gonna last to age 100, it's gonna lapse in seven years. What are my options? Well, generally it used to only be write a larger check for the policy. And we're seeing more people look for alternatives. Building off that, the life insurance companies have had a trend over the last 10 years of raising their internal cost of insurance rates. And for those of you not familiar with that, what I mean is the monthly charge that they take from that policy, okay, to pay their mortality expenses, they have increased it on the entire books of business. Generally, these are policies that have been in the books for 15, 20 plus years, corresponds to older age insureds. And these aren't small increases. We've seen some that have been 20%. We've seen many that have been more closer to 50%. So again, that advisor and consumer are having to determine, what do we do? Is, it, is there an option outside of just writing a larger check for the premiums on this policy? We've also seen the amount of trust-owned life insurance that comes into the market increase significantly. And this is a trend that started as part of the, excuse me, the American Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012 during the Obama administration. It was amplified by the Trump administration tax cuts and job acts of 2017. Okay, now a husband and wife have the ability to exempt roughly $22 million. You know, I think many of us will say with the Biden administration, we, we believe that that level will drop quite significantly. But today we are still seeing families with net worths far below that amount, many with below the $10 million level who are questioning the need for that trust-owned policy, where the grantors of the trust of that islet are questioning their desire to continue gifting money to the trust to pay the premiums on that policy. And we're seeing a lot of them turn into those cash-based life settlement transactions, but we're also seeing a lot of them look at that retained death benefit option because the trust still gets to keep some of the benefit, i.e. the trust beneficiaries still receive a portion of it, but the trust doesn't pay premiums. So mom and dad, the grantors of the trust no longer have to gift any more money to the trust. And lastly, we see more and more opportunities coming to the market due to unaddressed longevity risk. I don't think I'm going to surprise too many of you by saying that generations today are living far longer than generations had before them. Okay. And unfortunately, many people haven't 
planned living into their 80s, living into their 90s, into their overall financial plan. So people are living more years in retirement than they had originally anticipated. And to compound the issue, the cost of medical care has increased. So their expenditures are higher than they had originally budgeted. So we're seeing many situations where the original purpose of the life insurance was wealth transfer to the younger generation. But now the focus on their planning is more on income for today. So they're not a burden on that next generation. So it's really not just a lapse and surrender based situation. It really is about the advisors asking the questions, incorporating the life insurance policy into the overall review process. If the people still have a need for the policy and it's serving a valuable purpose and they can afford the contract, we're the first ones to say they should hold the policy. But we find so many people whose needs have changed over time, and this is such a valuable option for them to leverage the market value of that policy. Sorry, Scott, that was a long answer for you. Let me, let me, let me just jump in. One of the things that I found to be very successful that agents told me that they did was to call their clients and say, you ought to have your life insurance appraised. You ought to have it valued. You have your home real estate valued. You have your jewelry valued. You can have your life insurance valued because it may be worth more than what the insurance company is telling you it's worth. And that can create a whole opportunity just to provide service. And they may just feel comforted to know it's worth more or it's worth the same and they're in good health. Uh, but it creates an opportunity. And with that, Scott, I'll turn it back to you. All right. Yeah, thank you. And th thanks, Peter and Alan, for the, that, that great um, insight into life settlements and how they're used. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious, and we may not have time right now, but I'm curious to hear about the evolution of using life settlements uh, in the small business setting, because I'm sure there's some opportunities there, especially yeah. with with advisors who have clients that that are small business owners and there's change of structures in the small business, there's key men insurance. I'm assuming that's you can you can use life settlements for as things change, things like that. So let's push that aside for a second um, because I want to want to back up again. And Patrick, I want to pivot to to you because so we've just talked to two people that have been with Coventry for a really long time. Yeah, you haven't. You're a newbie, right? <laughs> Now, uh, what's interesting is you have a, a pedigree in the industry with companies like Lincoln and Allianz and, and ING. So I'm curious to get your perspective when you look at the overall financial services industry of now that you're there a year, how do life settlements fit into the overall wealth management space? You know, how is Coventry partnering with other financial service firms, intermediaries, insure tech companies, sure. et cetera? So if you will just give us your perspective on that. Yeah, Scott, thank you. I'm happy to give uh, perspective. I am blessed and thankful for this opportunity. It gives me a very diverse perspective, not only from my history in the industry, but also working with the broker dealers, every channel, independents, banks, wirehouses, credit unions, RIAs, uh, institutional marketing organizations that you alluded to, BGAs, as well as insurance companies and insure tech offerings. The sentiment and feeling has been overly optimistic. And the words you just used, curious, right? With a little bit of, you know, caution. And for those firms that we work with hand in hand together that fully believe and are fully engaged in life settlements that are a part of the holistic planning wealth management process, we are in lockstep. We collaborate in marketing efforts, educating over 30,000 advisors, not only advisors, but also CPAs and attorneys that are out there to help you with, you know, your referral centers of influence, you know, and we put together collaborative marketing campaigns and educate advisor and consumer, you know, where it's appropriate to illustrate the benefits of life settlements. The feedback I've been getting at the broker dealer levels as well is how's compensation paid? For those firms that are fully committed and they want their advisors appropriate license through the broker dealer, you know, we pay compensation directly to the broker dealer, pay it to the grid. There are other agencies and broker dealers that actually want us to work directly with the agent, pay them directly. So we're very collaborative regarding the needs of broker dealers that are fully engaged, you know, with us and supportive of life settlements, Scott. But the other side, more emphasizing the curiosity. Many firms are cautious. They 
maybe believe in life settlements. Maybe they're a little bit more reactive to it. They only present a life settlement when it's brought up by the client. Thankfully, we developed for those instances a referral agreement with those firms where Coventry is fully engaged in the process and we can work with the agent or without uh, the agent's involvement on the entire life settlement process with that client that Peter talked to about earlier. But the one that's really exciting to me, Scott, is those firms that are very cautious. And this gets back to what, you know, Alan uh, emphasized about education. We are now working together hand in hand throughout the entire due diligence process with all the parties involved, legal, compliance, product, risk management, sales, marketing. And what we want to do is develop the appropriate uh, due diligence processes, guidelines, parameters together, you know, to incorporate life settlements with inside of your platform and I think uh, the benefit of Coventry is all about the client experience that you heard with Dr. Michael Greer. We truly want to listen to you. We want to learn about your overall firm growth initiatives, you know, and we want to lead together with you, bringing in life settlements to you and your advisors and your clients as your lifestyles change in retirement and your insurance needs change. It sounds good. And congratulations on being there for a year and an exciting opportunity. So I want to keep on this perspective. And Hugh, I'd like to pivot over to you. And I don't remember how long ago we ran into each other. But I know we've known each other for, for a long time, right? And, and come in and out of each other's orbit. So you've been in the industry for a long time, like I have, specifically in the bank and credit union channel. So I know a good percentage of our audience today comes from that channel. So as an intermediary, give us kind of a, a feel for, for JBC and how you're working with your clients to help them leverage life settlements and the, the opportunities that Coventry just explained to us. Sure, Scott, and, and thank you. Um, I've, I've known Pat a really long time. I've known the life settlement space and uh, worked hard to really understand it. At JBC Companies, uh, we have multiple different distribution opportunities, um, and our passion is really education. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I joined the firm. Uh, we have a belief that big enough to make a difference, but small enough to still care. So everyone we touch, whether it be an institutional bank partner, credit union, broker dealer, or independent advisor, we wanna make sure that they know their options. I personally am a fiduciary advisor. I have my own book of business that I continue to manage. It's our job uh, to really do an evaluation and a review. And we make it imperative on our advisors, whether they're in the bank space or not. And we respect our broker dealer relationships where uh, life settlements is not currently available, but in those partners where we can bring Pat and the team, it has been a game changer. The education, the support, uh, we have a bank partner right now that, that's having a uh, full uh, group of attorneys go through a process of CE to better understand this, this line of business. We want to make sure that every advisor that comes in contact with a client does in fact what Alan said, and that's a valuation of their insurance policies. For years, being in the bank space, one of the things we hear about life insurance is my client can't get approved. They're not, they're not well. Uh, they, they want more insurance, but, or they want long-term care insurance, but they're too old. They're too sick. Uh, the old sick and rich, and they, they have needs that the advisor miss on the process of evaluating the portfolio because they believe that they can't benefit by life insurance any longer because of age. And that's, candidly, that's not true. So it's, incumbent upon us to educate our advisors, our bank partners, our credit unions on the value of a life settlement as a fiduciary, as best interest for them so that they have options. No one's saying that everyone needs a life settlement or everyone needs a life insurance policy at their given time. But I think what Peter said as well is it's time to make sure that they know their options and that things are being evaluated properly we had an advisor that was looking at a client and letting a policy lapse. It was a term policy. He had no idea about life settlements, heard it in conversation. We brought it to the table, uh, had already partnered up with Coventry for the firm. And the benefit was very simple. We did an evaluation of the value. There was value there. 
the client was going through a surgery, could not afford to keep the policy on a conversion, but wanted to have his options made aware to him after talking to the advisor. Turns out that he went through surgery that was really beneficial to his condition, and therefore he didn't need to go through the process. But the appreciation that went back to this advisor after going to him and giving him all the details and the value and the options, that was priceless. So for me, it's a passion. I've gone through it. I have personal uh, reasons for this. My parents died young, uh, let a policy go as well uh, that they probably shouldn't have. But at the time, I had no idea that this could be an option and it could have truly benefited them. So I'm truly passionate. I'm, I'm thankful and also blessed, Pat, that uh, we're partnered up uh, with such a great firm and our partner banks and our advisors and our team are thankful because of what Pat and their team brings to the table. And really it is education and value, not trying to sell anything or take over a policy. It's making clients aware of what their policies are worth so that they can make the best decision for them and their family. So I'll hand it back to you, Scott. Yeah. So Hugh, you mentioned the word option many times in what you just told us. And that word has been used obviously quite a bit in the discussion. So what's, you know, what stands out for me is that if you're an advisor that is working to a significant degree of depth with your clients, this is a, an arrow in your quiver that you can provide to your clients as an option that they should know about, right? Whether or not they want to use it is up to them, but to a degree, it's almost your duty to let them know that that option exists. Should it be beneficial given their situation, change in life situation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's, you know, it's one of the key takeaways. So, so David, I'm going to, I'm going to toss it to you because you have uh, a similar background to Hugh, but you've also worked in, in other channels. You were with Ash before uh, Financial Independent Group, if I recall correctly, right? So there is, I believe, a benefit in cross-channel pollination. And what I mean by that is that I, I know that people in, let's say, the bank channel can learn a lot from the independent channel and sometimes vice versa. And you've worked across across channels. Yep. And our audience today is across channels as well, right? So give us your perspective of what the best ways to leverage life settlements are that you've seen in the IBD space, in the RIA space. Are those spaces at different points in time with their utilization of, of life settlements or, or not? And what's your perspective as you look across the different channels? Yeah, thanks, Scott. I, I think the channels are probably pretty similar from an overall perspective, but a little bit of background about FIG, Financial Independence Group, we're a BGA, you know, we service about 8,000 independent advisors around the country. Many of them come from various channels, like you said, and a large portion of them are RIAs, independent advisors. Some are affiliated with broker-dealers, some are not. One commonality is that they may not lead with insurance by any means. That's not their bread and butter on a day-to-day basis. That's not their daily focus. And that goes immediately back to education. Life settlements, from our perspective, you know, they come to us to sift through the weeds, to sift through the products and carriers that are available in the spaces that we represent, life insurance being one of them, and provide solutions. And life settlements like everybody's talked about here is an option. It's a solution. It's a thought process, but you need to be educated on when to identify that opportunity. And I think no matter what channel you're in, that opportunity will and can present itself. So, you know, a major reason we partnered with Coventry was because of the education and the way that they partner and come alongside of us to help educate our producers. So that education is huge. The CE we have taken advantage of have had some great success hosting webinars and the attendance on those has been astronomical from getting that story out while providing a benefit to the advisors as well. But you think about a life settlement within a holistic financial plan. A lot of our advisors are RIAs. And they need to take a fiduciary approach. So, you know, something that that channel is learning is not only do you have to prove what's in the best interest of a client, but you need to almost disprove other things. Uh, 
So, you know, you think through the thought process or life cycle of an insurance policy, you need to, you know, when a change is happening and you need to do something to an insurance policy, whether it's surrender, replace, alter in some way, you need to prove and disprove all options. And life settlements is one of those. So we really made it a part of the thought process around the handling of insurance from a holistic planning approach. And Coventry has been a great partner. We take a more hands-off approach. We more refer our advisors to Coventry and, and kind of hand that off to Coventry. Um, and they've been wonderful. We've, you know, one thing that is required in a fiduciary approach is consider all options, life settlements being one. We are not required to partner with Coventry. We, we chose to do that. Our advisors rely on us to sift through the weeds and pick the appropriate partners, recommend the appropriate relationships that are going to make them look good in front of their clients and facilitate, facilitate any need that they have. So we've been very appreciative and pleased with the support that we've been getting from Coventry. Uh, in regards to that. If you consider all of the feedback that each of you have given from your from your perspectives, you've given us some really well-rounded background into uh, life settlements, the evolution of the industry, um, how it's utilized uh, appropriately by advisors for um, their, their clients. And what I'd like to do is turn it over to Bob as he's monitoring questions coming from the audience. Bob, I think you might have a, a couple. So why don't you cue us up with the, the first question? Sure thing. Thanks so much, Scott. Um, and this one I think would be to Peter because I think he spoke a little bit earlier about taxation. But can you talk more about the taxation with life settlements? Sure. So I want to start by giving the, the caveat. I'm not a tax advisor. Legally cannot provide tax advice. But based on IRS revenue ruling 2009-13, and the subsequent amendment to the tax from the Tax Cuts and Job Acts of 2017, as you can tell, I get this question quite a bit. <laughs> it, it's thankfully it's not very complicated. The majority of it comes down to what is the basis in the policy? Basis being defined as premiums paid in minus any prior withdrawals. So let's just use an example. Let's say somebody had a you know current assumption universal life policy. They have a basis of $100,000 into the policy, okay? Given we're in a low interest rate environment, they've paid in 100,000 over the last 14 years. The surrender value is only $50,000 in the policy. And let's say Coventry's offers $200,000 for that contract. So if, yes, if you surrendered it to the insurance company for $50,000, there is no tax due, okay? With a life settlement, there is a tax that would come due because you're receiving more than your basis. So you recover your basis tax-free. The first 100,000, no tax. The next 100,000 from 100 to 200, the amount up and above the basis is taxed at long-term capital gains. Okay, There are situations where ordinary income can come into play. They are few and far between. Okay, A lot of it, it only comes into play when essentially there is a gain inside of that policy. And what I mean by that is that if you have a policy where the cash value is greater than the basis in the contract. So let's say you had a, a variable policy and you timed the market well and you had a surrender value of 100,000, okay? But you had a basis of 50,000 and you sold it for 200,000. The taxation is very similar to if it would just be a surrender of the contract. But it's a but better off for the consumer, right? So when you, in that situation, the first fifty thousand up to basis, tax free, the cash value is a hundred thousand. So from fifty to a hundred, that is taxed at ordinary income. No different than if that client was to surrender that policy. The benefit from the life settlement is that additional hundred thousand dollars that would only be taxed at long-term capital gains. Got All it. Right. All right, Bob, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we had another uh, question. What is the compensation with life settlements? Sure. And it really depends on the national account level, right? Every national account that we work with, we work with them to help tailor a structure that is what they're looking for from their compliance department. Okay. We have some groups where whether it is a fixed life insurance product or a variable life insurance product, they want it to run through a broker dealer and it gets paid out through the grid where we give them an offer, it is a gross offer. 
and the agent determines how much is going to the client and how much is retained. And there is a maximum amount where it's essentially the lesser of 10% of the face amount or one third of the gross offer. Commission is, is required to be disclosed in many states in our closing documents or in some other states where it is just on the licensed agent to disclose that to their client. We do have other situations where a national account will want to set a fixed commission on a case, and we can work with them to, to achieve that. We also have the case that you know Dave and Patrick talked about re with referral agreements, where we have success-based referral, where somebody may refer a consumer to us to work with them. And if we end up buying that policy, there is, as an example, a 1% of face amount referral fee that is generated for that. Part of the reason why we have originally that gross offer, sorry to go on there, is because the advisor knows best about what's going on in the planning strategy. As an example, I have a case right now where it is a million dollar term policy. The family previously shopped it through a different advisor. Okay, we did not see the case and they got no offer. We looked at it and it was a very challenging case. The conversion product was quite expensive. Our offer was $15,000 for this policy. The advisor said, I don't wanna take a commission on the life settlement. I wanna give the entire purchase price to my client because the new first year target on the conversion was $32,000. They felt that that was more than enough. Plus they wanted to make sure they gave every dollar possible to their client to ensure that the life settlement transaction happened. Because if that did not happen, the term conversion would not happen and there would have been no revenue generated for that advisor. That's very cool. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap, you guys. So listen, uh, Patrick, I, uh, I know you've worked really hard behind the scenes to pull this together. You've worked with us a lot and we appreciate that. So uh, Alan, Peter, Hugh, David, Neil, uh, thank you all for working with us to create this educational webinar uh, to our audience. Thank you for joining us and we hope you got value out of it. Bob, thanks for monitoring the questions for us. So much appreciated. Thank you all. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Bob Mattel again. Scott and I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. We'd again like to thank Coventry for partnering with us to make this episode possible and also express our appreciation to our panelists for their insights. Alan Berger, Neil Jacobs, Peter Hershon, and Patrick Cahill of Coventry, Hugh Cameron of JBC Companies, and David Henry of Financial Independence Group. Don't forget to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Untangling Fintech and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Thanks for joining us.